the grace of Jesus is always wider. It's growing on and on and always higher. In the grace of Jesus, it lights a fire. Can you light a fire deep down in my soul? It's the grace of Jesus. It's always wider, 
came from heaven's throne, acquainted with our sorrow, to train the dead we owe, your suffering for our freedom. The Lamb of God in my place, your blood poured out my sin, erased in once my darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and promise to a virgin came the word from a throne 
reveal the kingdom come and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, Jesus be magnified in all that we do. May our mind's attention and our heart's affection be focused completely upon you, dear God. Reveal yourself to us. It's in the revelation of who you are that we truly worship you, your greatness, your glory. Be with us now as your word is opened and preached and proclaimed. We listen. Hey, Blake and Underdown, 
you here somewhere? Blake under down. We've got your baptismal certificate. We weren't able to get that to you last week uh, in the rest of the things. And uh, as we get started, I want to see if I can talk you all into going to the one of the home groups tonight. Uh, I am a church member. How many of you already signed up? How many of you refuse to sign up? <laughs> I want all of us to go, you know, um, nobody to take a pass, but all of us to be a part of that. You can sign up as the sign-up sheets go through here. It starts at 5 o'clock tonight. And just a couple of directives. It is supposed to be uh, like a, think appetizer or dessert. Don't think full meal because the idea is that uh, everybody will bring a snack. Bring whatever you want, whatever you like, and your own drink. So the host is only providing the home, and you bring all the snacks. You can have dinner before or you can have dinner afterwards. And so be thinking about that, appetizer or dessert. Uh, a little bit disconcerting to be preaching with a shot clock behind me. Now, I'm wondering when that's going to start, and then the buzzer goes off at a certain time. But I want to say, way to go as a church family, the flexibility that you guys have demonstrated in moving again. You think about all the transitions that we have been through, experiencing the pandemic, and then now going through the, the upgrades and the renovations in the sanctuary. Uh, it is amazing the way that you all have worked. Thank you for being so flexible. We've changed schedules again, and we're experimenting with that to see if maybe that would be a good fit for us as a church family. Be sure to be a part of the discussion that we'll have at the end of this month on July 28th on a Wednesday night. We'll talk more about it and uh, look towards a vote in August. But you guys have been great. I want to thank Warren, his crew, our custodians. I mean, this was just a gymnasium earlier in the week, and it's now become a place where we can worship together. Uh, I want to thank Sojourn, the, uh, the church that is meeting back here on a Sunday, uh, one of the churches that we are helping to plant. Uh, they've been uprooted because of our need to make a transition, and so they're meeting at a different time in here, and I'm very grateful for their flexibility. Um, and so anyway, thanks for all that you guys uh, are doing. Today we get to the great interruption, which is very apropos. We've had lots of interruptions as we've moved through all of this, and we've been in the Gospel of John talking about the great interruption. We're in a great interruption today. How many of you were bothered that you're not sitting in the same place you were in the sanctuary? <laughs> Tough to find that new seat, right? Where's my seat? Where do, you know, some of you kind of looking at other people like, you're in my seat. Uh, but it's a free-for-all, so just get here a little bit earlier next week, and you can get maybe the seat that you want. And uh, we got some exciting stuff about where you sit next week lined up as well. But the great interruption, and today in John chapter 12, we're going to be talking about won't leads to can't. The Bible repeatedly reminds us there's a very predictable process in life. It's called the law of the harvest. Most notably in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it states that a man will reap what he sows. Paul goes on to explain further in the verses that follow that if we plant sinful seeds, then we will end up with a bumper crop of disaster. In the concluding verses of John chapter 12, the Apostle Paul diagrams how that happened to those who refused to believe in Jesus. John's gospel has now shifted to the very last week of Jesus' earthly life. And in the verses that we'll see today, he's going to summarize the response of those he witnessed responding to Jesus in a negative way. John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. It's one more place in Scripture that shows us that our actions have consequences. A little kid watched as his big brother went from one 
disaster to another. And one night he overheard his parents arguing with his older brother. And the father said, you're just going to have to live with the consequences. Next day, the younger brother caught up with his mom. And he asked, can I have Derek's room when he goes to live with the consequences? <laughs> the Bible tells us we will live with consequences. Look at John chapter 12, beginning in verse 37. It says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe. John had listed signs, wonders, miracles, phenomenal teaching that Jesus had given. And even John is amazed looking back and saying, even after all of that, they still would not believe. But it gets worse because we go down to verse 39 and it says, for this reason, they could not believe. They would not, and then they could not. The law of the harvest is very obvious in the material world. We can go out and we can see uh, rows and rows of corn plants in a cornfield. We can see tomato plants in our garden, or maybe pecan trees. But it's equally true of us spiritually. There is a law of the harvest. In Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12, God said that because his people would not listen to him, he turned them over to their own stubborn hearts. Romans chapter 1, as you read through there, we find that three different times it says that God abandoned them to their own desires, their rebellious hearts against him. Everybody likes Jeremiah 29, 11. It talks about God having this beautiful future for us. But that has to be offset by numerous passages in the same book that talk about rebellion against God leads to life with dire consequences. A number of you are reading through the Bible now. You're in the book of Judges. You get to the book of Judges and you see this perpetual cycle of the people of God rebelling against God and reaping the disastrous results. And one of the most dramatic demonstrations of this truth is found in the book of Exodus. We read about Pharaoh's hardened heart. We often remember that the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But interesting enough, 10 times it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 10 times he hardened his heart, Ten times it says that God hardened his heart. It's more about the law of the harvest. He reaped what he sowed, a hardened heart. In verse 41 of this passage of Scripture, it says that Isaiah said all of this. Going back, it says that they were, their eyes were blinded, their, 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 they could not see, their hearts were hardened, couldn't reason, understand. Isaiah Said, that this, said all of this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him in verse 41. What did Isaiah see? Amazingly, 700 years before Jesus came onto the scene, Isaiah predicted what would happen. 
And it says in Isaiah, when John is referring back to this, he's referring back to two passages in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, which we read about not too terribly long ago, about the vision that Isaiah had of God. And Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering servant, which many from the Jewish faith believe that to be about Israel. We as Christians believe that to be about Christ. What he is saying here is that Jesus wants to take us on a new exodus. All throughout the Old Testament, you have conversation about the exodus. Everybody remembers that great moment in which God delivered his people from the oppression of Egypt. But John is saying, listen, Jesus wants to take us on a new exodus, not from Egypt, but from the power and the penalty of sin to take us from darkness into light. When John is referring back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, that vision in which he saw God high and lifted up, he is saying that this refers to Jesus. In many ways, John is making a summary of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's coming to this point now where there's no more conversation with the public. From here on out, Jesus will talk to his disciples, then he'll face the trial, then his execution, then the resurrection, and then meeting with his disciples afterwards. It's a reminder that Israel demonstrated that we cannot earn our own salvation. We cannot earn God's favor for two millennia almost. Israel rebelled against God. But it also reveals the tremendous patience of God. Think about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, God is patient, not wanting for anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What John is saying is God has been incredibly patient. But there will come a time when that patience will be exalted exhausted. Avoiding this horrible consequence. How do we avoid this, this consequence? Well, we live for an audience of one. Look at John chapter 12, verse 43. It says that they loved human praise more than praise from God. It's talking about the religious leaders. Some of them really did believe in God. And, and commentators can be kind of hard on these guys. Kind of like, okay, well, they, they like human praise more than they like the praise of God. And understandably, John is writing from 60 years removed, yes. But, but, maybe, but maybe their hearts changed too. The disciples weren't all in at this point either. But for us to avoid the horrible consequence of getting to the point where because we won't believe in God, we can't believe in God, we must live for an audience of one. Look at that phrase one more time in verse 43. They loved human praise more than praise from God. Which praise do you enjoy more? Which praise do I enjoy more? Do we want the praise of God or do we want to hear the affirmation from other people? How many of you have the, the love language of affirmation? Just curious. Okay? Not many, really. Well, you can affirm me all you want. I'll take any affirmation you want to give me. But sometimes we live for the affirmation of other people to the exclusion of living for the affirmation of God. Notice what G.K. Chesterton said. 
When men choose not to believe in God, they do not therefore believe in nothing. They become capable of believing in anything. See, if we don't live for the exaltation of God and the praise of God, we will be tempted to believe in anything. Oswald Chambers maybe said it in a way that helps us all to understand this. It says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you come to fear everything else. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, and John is coming to this, again, this summary point of how people responded to Jesus, he says, be wary, be aware, and realize that if you refuse to believe in God long enough, there will come a place where you can't believe in God. We see that in the world. Sometimes uh, when you're younger, you think, if I don't exercise, it won't really matter. But if you live long enough, you'll come to, believe, you'll come to understand that if you won't exercise, a time comes when you can't exercise. If you won't, to ta won't take prescribed medicines that will help you, you will never benefit from the medicines themselves. So do what you can while you can so you don't get what you can't change. That's part of what John is talking about here. So ever since the Garden of Eden, mankind has been trying to make the rules. You ever play Monopoly and change the rules? I honestly don't even know what the real rules are at our house. It's always negotiable. And I'm that guy that always says, why do we only get so little money from the bank? Why don't we just take all the money and divvy it up to everybody to start with? And then I always want to play free parking. That's not in the rules. But you know what free parking is, right? How many people know about free parking? Some of you have played Monopoly. You, you just pile all the money in there from every sale, and whoever lands on free parking is like a lottery. You get to take all that. Well, you know, sometimes we, we play in life like that. Let's just make up our own rules. And if we're not careful, we'll end up following our own rules rather than God's rules, and we'll get to the point where we've chosen not to follow Him, and then we can't follow Him. How does this happen? It's based upon our choice, yes, but it's also based upon something that happens in the spiritual realm. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. We are told that the evil one blinds the eyes of those who have turned away from God. Satan blinds, puts up scales on people's eyes. We literally see that in the life of Saul on the Damascus Road, and scales literally come off of his eyes. And we don't literally have scales on our eyes, but spiritually we do. That we could be blinded to, be the, the, to the things of God. You know, 100 billion people have lived on this planet, gone before us, made their decision about God. And so what do we do? Well, John says, believe and obey. Verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The reverse of that is, if we do accept the words of God, we will believe, and with our obedience, we will enter into relationship with God. Obey 
while you can. In 1739, Benjamin Franklin met George Whitfield. For those of you familiar with history, you'll know that Whitfield led in one of the great awakenings in America. He'd come here for a one-year campaign of preaching, and when he was in Philadelphia, he attracted enormous crowds. Philadelphia at that time was the largest city in America with about 16,000 residents. About half of those came out to listen to Whitfield. Franklin was mesmerized by the charisma, the skill, and the passion that Whitfield had for the lost. And they became fast friends. In fact, Franklin became the primary publisher of Whitfield sermons. Back then, you didn't have any way to record messages and listen to them on podcasts or otherwise. So they would print out messages. And for the better part of three years, Whitfield's sermons made up half of what Franklin published and sold. As you know, Franklin had the Pennsylvania Gazette. Eight different times, the entire front page contained a message from George Whitfield, one of his sermons. And nearly four dozen times, he printed his messages in the paper. Over their 30-year friendship, they corresponded often, and when Whitfield would come to, to visit in Philadelphia, he would stay with Franklin. Whitfield prayed for Franklin many, many times. But Franklin never responded to his friend's urgency to receive Christ. In Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, he noted the disappointment of his friend Whitfield as he prayed for him. He said, speaking of Whitfield, he used sometimes to pray for my conversion, but he never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, we're reminded, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on his name while he is near. Not too long ago, we read through Hosea. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Break up the fallow ground of your hearts. I think what our students experienced this week in camp was the breaking up of the hardness of heart so that their hearts would become receptive to God. And my prayer is for each one of us that we would take heed to John's words here and that we would have an open, receptive heart to believe God, not just for salvation, but for anything that he might want to do. If here has never received Christ, I hope that you will always know that God loves you and he has created you to have a relationship with him, an eternal relationship with him. But that relationship will never come about on our own energy because our sin separates us from holy God. We sang holy, holy, holy. We are not holy, holy, holy. And because of that separation, Jesus Christ came. And Jesus Christ can make us right with God for all of eternity. We can be changed in a moment and through time by humbly repenting of our sins and surrendering our entire life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I pray that in these next moments you'll join me in a prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're already a Christian, I pray that you would pray to God and say, Lord, would you give me an open heart to receive anything that you might want to do in my life. So let's pray together.
God, we thank you that as we look at John chapter 12, we are reminded of these responses to who you are and what you have done. Sadly, we see that so many turned away from you. Some tried to embrace you, but they weren't all in. We never want to be a part of that crowd. God, give us the ability to fully surrender all that we are and all that we have to you. If anyone listening now in this room or online has never received you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they pray a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, you are so good to us. You are so patient with us. May we never be found with a rebellious, hardened heart, but may we fully surrender ourselves to you each and every day, inviting your spirit to fill us, control us, and use us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Let's stand together as we sing this closing song. And if you have a desire to receive Christ or more information to, to pray with someone, know that at each one of the exits, our staff will be there. You can pray with someone right next to you. But let's sing together and let's worship as we respond.